Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Yeah, on today's program, Josh Duggar's child pornography trial begins and ends with a conviction. But beyond the salacious headlines, what can we learn? And one of Canada's best-known evangelical pastors has been accused of sexual misconduct. We begin today with news from Haiti. Yeah, a Christian ministry based in Ohio announced on Monday that a violent gang in Haiti had released three more hostages, while another 12 still remain uh, in their custody. The statement from Christian Aid Ministries said the people were released on Sunday in Haiti and are safe and seem to be in good spirits. The group, though, gave no further details. Warren, can you back up a little bit and remind us how this story has unfolded? Yeah, sure can. Uh, the 400 Mawozo gang uh, kidnapped 17 Christian aid missionaries back in October. And it was, you know, pretty big national news back then, not just sort of in the Christian media, but in the mainstream secular media as well. On November 21st, Christian aid announced that the gang had released two hostages. The leader of the 400 Mawozo gang has threatened to kill the hostages unless his demands are met. Authorities have said that the gang was seeking $1 million per person as ransom. So is the ministry actually paying these ransoms and are people being released as money's sent in? Well, we don't know. Christian Aid Ministries, as I said, didn't uh, release any further details other than what I've already shared with you. It is official government, U.S. government policy, not to negotiate or provide payments to gangs, terrorists, or other rebel and lawless groups. However, sometimes non-governmental organizations, NGOs, have done so. Most Christian ministries officially say that they do not make payments. But I've got to tell you, Natasha, I have uh, traveled, uh, you know, kind of all around the world, places like Haiti. I've been to Haiti. I've been to Liberia in Africa, India, South America. And even though they say they don't make payments, sometimes uh, small payments are just necessary in order to get you know work done. I remember, for example, being in Monrovia, Liberia, with a very large and well-known Christian organization. They were adamant that their official policy was that they did not bribe officials. But they also said that in Monrovia, for example, the offices of government officials were so poorly equipped that they couldn't even process the government paperwork necessary for the ministry to do its own work. So sometimes the ministry would take computers, printers, printer paper to city offices just so the government officials could do the work that the ministry needed them to do. And sometimes he admitted to me that they would forget to bring those uh, computer equipment uh, and printers home uh, with them and leave them there. So does that constitute a bribe? Well, I'll let you decide for yourself. But I will have to say that in this case, a million dollars per head is a whole lot of money and is a whole lot more than, of course, a ream of computer paper. And I am not suggesting 
that Christian Aid Ministries has, in fact, paid ransoms. I raise these issues simply to say that ministries that operate in unsafe areas in the world often have tough situations to deal with, hard choices. The best thing to do is to have clear policies in place in advance. Warren, our next story involves the case of former reality TV star and former Christian ministry leader Josh Duggar. Yeah, a computer used by Josh Duggar at work contained child pornography behind a partition that allowed the user to circumvent an application that monitors internet use. And metadata indicated that the images were downloaded when Josh Duggar was working. That, according to a computer forensics expert. Duggar, age 33, is charged with receiving and possessing child pornography and faces up to 20 years in prison on each account. His federal trial began earlier this week in northwest Arkansas, and by Thursday, he was found guilty. He faces the possibility of decades in prison and hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. Yeah, defense attorneys for Josh Duggar had argued that someone else downloaded or placed the child pornography onto his work computer, noting that no child pornography was found on Duggar's phone or laptop. But the jury obviously didn't buy that argument. Federal prosecutors had detailed logs showing minute by minute the activity on Duggar's computer that uh, alternated between him sending personal messages and downloading child porn and pictures. Duggar, featured on TLC's 19 Kids and Counting show, was charged in April. Prosecutors say child pornography was downloaded to the computer in May 2019. Yeah, TLC had pulled the reality show way back in 2015 when earlier revelations that Josh Duggar had molested four of his sisters and a babysitter came to light. In 2015, Duggar apologized publicly uh, for his pornography addiction and cheating on his wife, calling himself the biggest hypocrite ever. Now, Warren, you know Josh Duggar. Do you have any thoughts about the situation? Well, I do. I've had the occasion. um, Actually, I would have said at one point in our lives that uh, Josh and I were friends. And uh, that was some years ago, though. I haven't had any contact with Josh uh, since uh, at least 2015. And, um, you know, I think the real lesson here for us, uh, Natasha, is to, you know, not get caught up in the salacious details. Um, You know, obviously, this story has become sort of a you know, a story that even the secular media kind of loves to cover because it makes evangelicalism look bad, and it really does uh, make evangelicalism look bad. Um, And, you know, we should grieve that, but we should also not think that it couldn't happen to us, that all of us that are in Christian ministry, in fact, all Christians should have safeguards in place uh, so that uh, there's transparency and accountability in our lives. I think that that, in a way, is what kind of happened to Josh. He became a celebrity, and um, some of the um, things that, you know, maybe if he was just a normal, everyday person, his family and friends might have called him out on, they stopped doing that because they just loved having a celebrity in their midst. And um, that has led to a lot of these problems. Not trying to excuse Josh in any way uh, for what has happened. Not trying to blame his friends or blame his family uh, in any way, shape, or form. What Josh did is on Josh. But um, I think the thing that we should remember is it could happen to all of us if we don't have some serious uh, safeguards around us in terms of accountability and transparency. Now let's look at one more story before we go to break. And unfortunately, it also involves allegations of sexual misconduct on the part of a prominent Christian leader. 
yeah, a pastor at one of Canada's largest churches has been accused of sexual misconduct and has been placed on leave while the church uh, has an internal investigation. Bruxy Cavey, who grew the Meeting House Church into a megachurch with over 5,000 people attending 19 different campus locations in the Toronto metropolitan area, has been accused of sexual misconduct by a woman who reported to the church's overseers board, or that's what they call their board of directors, last week. Bruxy Cavey has now been placed on a leave of absence while an external investigation takes place. Yeah, Cavey is 56 years old, the teaching pastor at the Meeting House, and he's also the author of a popular book called The End of Religion, Encountering the Subversive Spirituality of Jesus. He became senior pastor of Upper Oaks Community Church in 1997, more than 20 years ago, but changed the name of that church to The Meeting House. The church affiliates with the Be in Christ denomination, which is a small Anabaptist denomination that was formerly known as the Brethren in Christ Canada denomination. It's committed to peace and nonviolence. The denomination, though, is evangelical uh, in its teachings. Uh, Cavey, though, is not just known in Canada. He's taught at U.S. seminaries and universities, including Messiah University up in Pennsylvania and Fresno Pacific University Biblical Seminary. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a religious liberty victory for college groups and the role church-based food pantries have played during the pandemic. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, a former Michigan pastor has pleaded guilty to embezzling more than $285,000 from his church over a six-year period. Yeah, Douglas Hammond is the pastor's name. He's now 67 years old. He took money when he was pastor of Olivet Assembly of God Church. Uh, He pleaded guilty to one count of embezzlement over $100,000. But as you say, uh, authorities believe he took $285,000 in total over a period of January of 2014 until November of 2019. The former pastor, however, is unlikely to make any of the court-ordered restitution that was uh, demanded by this uh, legal uh, conviction uh, because he's currently destitute, living in poverty. Uh, Hammond's sentencing has been postponed until June of next year because of concerns about his health. Our next story is about how church-run food pantries and ministries have expanded during COVID. 
Yeah, about half of U.S. congregations have some kind of food assistance program, according to data from the 2018 National Congregations Study. And a recent report from the Hartford Institute of Religion Research found that about a third of U.S. congregations saw increased requests for food assistance since the start of the pandemic. Those increases were often in the ballpark of 20 to 30 percent, which is very significant. And if that's the bad news in this story, the good news is that churches are, in fact, responding, in some cases magnificently. It's estimated that church-related food pantries will help nearly 50 million people in the United States at least once this year put food on their table. And the Feeding America Network, which includes churches and non-church-related food pantries, has provided more than 4 billion, that's with a B, meals since the beginning of the pandemic. Or in our next story, we have a religious liberty story that will be of interest to all Christians, but ministry leaders in particular. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, A state panel agreed on Monday to pay nearly $2 million to two Christian groups uh, to settle religious liberty lawsuits. Lawyers for the student group Business Leaders in Christ were awarded $1.37 million in fees and costs for litigating the case. And a second student group, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, won their federal court case. It will be paid about $20,000 in damages, but more than a half a million dollars in attorney fees. Both cases stem from actions at the University of Iowa. Uh, they took those actions after a gay student said that he was turned down for a leadership role in business leaders in Christ because he would not accept the group's position that marriage must be between only a man and a woman. After the student alleged violations of his civil rights, the university reviewed student organizations' compliance with civil rights and began delisting some organizations that school officials said failed to comply. Yeah, and these two Christian groups were among those that were delisted, and they sued the university. Both won judgments that the university had violated their constitutional rights to free speech and the free exercise of religion. The university appealed, and the lower court decision was upheld by the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. And I should add that the Washington-based Beckett Fund led the legal efforts for both of these student groups. Up next is another court case, this one involving a controversial pastor and COVID restrictions. Yeah, Louisiana's Supreme Court said this week that it would hear arguments in a pastor's fight against criminal charges that he faces for violations of pandemic gathering limits that were in effect last year in Louisiana. Tony Spell is that pastor's name. We've written about him a good bit here at Ministry Watch. He got national attention when he began to flout the state's public health order in March of 2020. That was at a time when much of the country was in complete lockdown due to the emergence of COVID-19. Louisiana was hit especially hard at that time. But nonetheless, hundreds showed up at Spell's church to hear his claims about the virus. He said that the virus wasn't a great threat even though it has now killed more than 780,000 Americans. He told his congregation that it was nothing to be concerned about. 
A state judge earlier this year has refused to throw out the charges against Spell, whose life tabernacle church is in the Baton Rouge area. Yeah, and an appeals court agreed, but the state Supreme Court accepted the case for arguments on Tuesday, but a hearing date has not yet been set. And Warren, while we're on the subject of court cases, we have one more. Yeah, a Christian children's home in Tennessee that receives federal funds from the Department of Health and Human Services has sued the Biden administration. The Biden administration says that if a Christian agency receives federal dollars, it must abide by federal rules. One of those rules says that adoption agencies cannot consider sexual orientation or gender identity in its placement of children. Yeah, uh, previously, the Trump administration had given Christian groups an exemption from that rule, but the Biden administration reinstated that rule recently. The group in question is called Holston House, which is affiliated with the Holston Conference of the United Methodist Church. Uh, It receives reimbursement for some services that it provides through Title IV-8. E, as in ECHO, which is administered by HHS, the Department of Health and Human Services. The lawsuit says that the Biden administration rules would substantially burden the organization's exercise of its religious beliefs. They're saying that they would have to knowingly engage in placing children uh, with persons who do not agree with their Christian statement of faith, including those who may be romantically cohabitating but are not married or who are couples in a same-sex relationship. Alliance Defending Freedom is representing Holson House in this lawsuit. Well, here we're going to take another quick break, but when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, first, uh, uh, Natasha, we have activist and abuse survivor Rachel Den Hollander. She'll be awarded the 2021 Abraham Kuyper Prize for Excellence in Reformed Theology and Public Life. That's a mouthful, but it is an important award given every year by Calvin University. They announced that award uh, just this week. Uh, Rachel Den Hollander will receive the prize, which includes a $10,000 award, and deliver a lecture on December 15th, hosted by Calvin University and Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I should add that I did an interview with Rachel Den Hollander a, a couple of years ago, and you can find that interview on the Ministry Watch website. I really recommend it. It's very powerful and insightful. Just type her name into the search engine, and it'll pop right up. Our next story involves the shutdown of a Christian college. 
Yeah, trustees of Ohio Valley University, uh, which is not in Ohio, but is in fact in Vienna, West Virginia, uh, voted to close the 63-year-old Christian University. Uh, Ohio Valley University, which is associated with the Churches of Christ, informed students, faculty, and staff on December 8 that it would not be offering classes in the spring of 2022 semester. Uh, Ohio Valley University is currently working on a plan to help seniors finish their education at other schools, the president of the university said. The university also hopes to have a college fair uh, this week. Total enrollment, though, had dipped below 200 in the most recent year. Warren, we've been reporting on Christian higher education for the last couple of years, and this sort of closing is becoming increasingly common. It is. In fact, if you go to the Ministry Watch website and just type in Christian college, you'll see probably a half a dozen stories pop up that announce a Christian college closing. And the reason for that is pretty simple. Demography is destiny. That's an old saying, but it's also true. And the demographics are not good for colleges and universities. To put it bluntly, Americans are not making as many babies as they have in generations past. And that has caused a shortage of college age students today, a shortage that will continue into the future. In fact, expect to see more closings of Christian colleges and secular colleges, by the way, in the years ahead. Now, Giving Tuesday was last week, but we're beginning to see more numbers from the event. Yeah, despite concerns that uh, pandemic fatigue might dampen giving on Giving Tuesday, donors, in fact, contributed a record $2.7 billion to nonprofits on Giving Tuesday, which was November 30th, of course. Uh, That was an increase of about 9% over last year. And Giving Tuesday is not just about money, but it's also about volunteering. And volunteering on that day increased by about 11% over 2020. Gifts of goods were up about 8% compared to last year. That, according to the folks at the Giving Tuesday organization. Wow, that sounds quite strong. Well, it is, but it's also important to note that this is the first year in the 10-year history of Giving Tuesday that the year-over-year growth in money, in actual dollars, was less than 10%. I guess it's unrealistic to expect that that spectacular growth would keep going on forever, but the rate of growth suggests that Giving Tuesday, which has become an important day for many nonprofits, does have its limits. And by the way, I should note that Ministry Watch also participated in Giving Tuesday. We had a goal of $10,000 for the day, and we met our goal. So if you are one of those who gave, let me just say a hearty thank you. In total, about 35 million adults participated in giving on that day, and that number was an increase of about 6% over 2020. Now, finally, Warren, what ministries did Christina Darnell highlight in the Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, first up would be the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. They deployed to Oxford Township, Michigan last week after a 15-year-old student allegedly shot and killed four classmates there at Oxford High School. Six Billy Graham Rapid Response Team chaplains were there to provide emotional and spiritual support to the students and community members, and another team deployed to Waukesha, Wisconsin, the week earlier after an SUV plowed into a Christmas parade 
crowd, and that killed six people, the youngest of which was eight years old. Now, Christina also featured Youth for Christ doing great work in North Dakota. Yeah, they're focused on addressing mental health uh, issues related to America's youth, especially in that part of the world, in North Dakota. There happen to be a lot of Native Americans on reservations there and within the military. Uh, Finally, another group that she looked at this week was Right Track Foundation of Kansas. Working with the Kansas Department of Corrections, they are funding training for inmates in trade skills such as welding and woodcraft. The foundation raised money to build a more than 9,000 square Square foot spiritual life center at Ellsworth Correctional Facility with classrooms, a library, chaplain's offices, and a worship sanctuary. Right Track president, his name is Exe Barber, is also a pastor within the Assemblies of God, and he leads weekly Bible studies there. Any final thoughts before we go today? Well, just a quick reminder that there is a quick, easy, and free way that you can support this podcast, and that is simply to give us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the more attention that we get from search engines, and that helps new listeners find us. And by the way, leave us a comment. I read them all, even though I can't respond in the podcast app. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Anne Stike, Cheryl Munn-Bacon, Catherine Post, David Pitt, Bob Smetana, Yonat Shimron, Peter Smith, Evan Shannon, and Christina Darnell. A special thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.